seated. Well, church, as you're taking a seat, can we give it up for this worship and this tech team for leading us each and every Sunday? Man, you guys are awesome. So, so thankful for you. Uh, my name's Austin. Uh, I'm on the team here at the church. Um, if this is your first time here to the church or you're a longtime member and you decided to visit this morning because you're like, man, I looked at the website and man, they have this phenomenal teacher that has dark hair and he teaches on the regular. His name's Trevor DeBenning. Man, you made a good, right, and wise decision. Unfortunately, he's not teaching this morning. So <laughs> you get me. Um, but I, I am honored to be here and to give Trevor a rest for the weekend. And so um, Trevor, on behalf of people that are attending for the first time and people that are longtime members, thank you for your years and years of faithful service into the lives of people. And just your, your constant ministry from here. I don't think anybody in here takes it lightly. So I'm honored to be here. Thankful for you. Um, so let's begin. If this is your first time here, you probably saw this on our website. But we're simply a, a church on the west side with just a mega vision for Los Angeles. We envision a Los Angeles in which every single person has experienced the life-changing power of the gospel. So there's three things that we're just trying to do really well. First, we are trying to make Jesus the center of everything that we do. We want to know Jesus better. And we think that the more that we pursue Jesus, the more our faith will be built. We will be able to put more of our hope, our trust, and our allegiance in Jesus. And as we do that, he begins to, to reshape us to remake us from the inside out, and we, we become a people that go out equipped to serve the world, to serve those in our homes, serve those in our church, in our neighborhood, and in our workplace. And so this morning, we're kind of continuing a series that we're in, a, a Back to the Garden series. As Trevor has mentioned, if we don't get the garden right, we really won't get anything right about the text. The garden is where it all begins. And so just a few weeks ago, we were wrapping up a first Timothy series, which was a, a letter written to one of the early spirit-filled churches. And as we wrapped up that first Timothy series, we kind of went all the way back to the beginning, back to Genesis. And as we're in this series, we're going to see the beginnings of many things, the beginning of the creation of the world, the beginning for humanity, the beginning for Israel, and this series will really kind of take us all the way to the fall of man, which will just kind of really set the stage for our longing for the arrival of a Savior, our longing for the arrival of the light of the world. This series will take us well into Advent, which is just around the corner. Specifically, the last couple of weeks, as we've been looking at beginnings, we're kind of looking at this passage in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31, especially the creation of male and female. Uh, last week, Trevor talked about male and female being made in the image of God, in the image of God, he created them. And this week, we'll look at the, just the next verse over in which God commissions Adam and Eve for the first time. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. If you have your, you know, your smart screen or a paperback Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. We're primarily going to be focused on Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, in which we're going to see a commission to um, a commission towards 
kids, the, the be fruitful and multiply, a commission towards cultivating your world, and a commission towards reflecting the kingship of God in the world. So kids, cultivating, and kingship. Let me read this for us as we kind of hop in. This is beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And here comes that commission, that blessing. God blessed them, said to them, commissioned them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Verse 31, God saw everything that he made and it wasn't just good for the first time, it's very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. You know, today, again, we're going to spend the bulk of our time in that blessing, that commission of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. But I want to I start with this. It's an Instagram reel that I saw uh, recently with maybe the most interesting person on the planet right now, Elon Musk. And Elon Musk is kind of giving this talk. I think it was, you know, it was a podcast. They not only do audio now, they do the video. Um, and somebody said, hey, Elon, you tend to have an opinion about everything. Um, what do you think about, you know, we have too many people on the earth. What do you think about the fact that we're overpopulated? And Elon essentially responds, I don't think overpopulation is our problem at all. If I'm concerned about anything, I'm concerned about depopulation. I'm concerned that in some significant areas of the world, the birth rate is not as high as it should be. Or in certain sectors of people, the birth rate is not as high as it should be. He says the danger possibly is that not overpopulation, but underpopulation. And then the music kicks in and the reel and it starts over again. But this idea of the need for humanity to multiply, to really just populate the earth is really a tale as old as time. In fact, this is the very first portion of the commission that God gives to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Not only is this a blessing, a release to Adam and Eve to say, now you are free to go do this, populate the earth, be fruitful, and multiply and increase. It's also a bit of a command. It's a commission. It's their responsibility at this point to take part in that process. Notice what God doesn't say. He doesn't bring Adam and Eve together. He had just created you. We've got this garden. We've got this earth. Things are going well. Hey, now go out and find yourselves. Go out and spend some time discovering your purpose. Be careful how many kids you have because you might waste your youth on childbearing instead of traveling everything that I've created. 
On the contrary, when God creates Adam and Eve, the first imperative he gives them is be fruitful, multiply, increase. You know, this is a, a thing that echoes all throughout the scriptures. It would be one thing if this was in one part of the text, but we actually see this all throughout the Old Testament. We see that one of the, the promises and the covenant that God makes with Abraham is precisely connected to this. This is a, a mashup of Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And he took him outside. This is skipping forward to chapter 15. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can even count all of them. Then he said to him, as Abraham is gazing at the stars, as many as the stars are, so shall your offspring be. And then skipping forward to chapter 17, God says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This is... In Genesis with Abraham. This continues on with Israel as they are in the beginning of the Exodus in Egypt. This is verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generation behind him had died. But the Israelites, watch this, verse 7. The Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied their population greatly. They increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was Filled with them. You can kind of hear this echo of Genesis chapter 1. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came into power. He said, this is not good. There's a lot of them. And so verse 11, so the slave masters over them began to oppress them. And they forced them into hard labor. Verse 12, I love this. But the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and spread. Uh, this continues in the, the era of the monarchy in, in one of the Psalms. They're talking about children. It says, children, they are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I was reading a pastor recently who was talking about, you know, he and his wife find it as their responsibility to fill their quiver with arrows and launch them into the future, into the next generation. In other words, in Genesis, in Exodus, and even into the monarch, there is this echo of the original commission to humanity to be fruitful and multiply, to increase in number. And this is why the discipline of procreation really, really matters. And it's mattered to the church, not just for the couple of thousand years that Christianity has been here, but all the way since the beginning, procreation has been this mandate. And so I just want to encourage us as we kind of consider this commission to humanity. There's essentially kind of three ways that we can participate in this. One is parents, you can practice the process. Enough said. <laughs> Grandparents, 
be available and nearby to assist those young parents. Raising young kids is hard. My, uh, my sister just had, her and her husband had their second kid just now. They got one who's about three years old and this one who's about 10 or 11 weeks old. Um, and she had the luxury of my mom actually driving up to Kansas City for about eight weeks to be present and to help. And so grandparents, if you have the ability to be near your kids when they are having kids, to assist them and encourage them in this sacred responsibility of raising kids. And the more help they get, the more they'll be encouraged to have, to have more. And others of us, you know, when Jesus talks about the family of faith, he kind of begins to create this surrogate family of faith. Hey, this is your mother. These are your brothers. Older women encourage younger women. Older men encourage younger men. So there is this idea, even if your, your kids are not nearby, you can participate in the process by encouraging those parents that are actively expanding their family. You can do it by helping serve in Risen Junior so parents can be in here and be undistracted for 25, 30 minutes. You can do it by being a part of the meal train when parents you know, initially have their first kid. You can partner with them and say, hey, if you ever need anything, give me a call. I want to be here for you. So my question for us as regards this cultural mandate, this creation mandate, this commission is, what role are you playing in assisting the multiplication of God's image in the earth? When God gives this commission, it is about the multiplication, increasing and multiplying via kids. Second thing is the commission is about cultivating the world around us. So the first part, be fruitful and multiply. The second part, Fill and subdue the earth. That idea of subdue and fill the earth is essentially this idea that God has created this amazing garden that is awesome. And it's functioning and it's working and it's beautiful. But there is still land outside of the garden to be cultivated. So God commissions Adam and Eve, you need to go make that other stuff look like the garden. And the first thing you're going to need to do is subdue some of the chaos that's out there. Could have been a, a watery deluge of natural resources and materials, but they're going to have to kind of go in, begin to separate, subdue, and then begin to fill it with vegetation, with livestock, with animals, so that the chaos actually ended up looking like the garden. This reminds me of my mom. She is the one in the family with the green thumb, and she loves to garden. It's just one of her favorite things to do. And, and what I've noticed about my mom when she gardens is it's, it's really a two-step process. I will tell you what she does not do. She does not clear out space for a garden by removing bricks and rocks and weeds. She doesn't clear out a space and then step back and just hope that flowers begin to grow. She also doesn't look at this mess of rocks and weeds and bricks and think, you know what, I'm just going to throw some seeds in there, and we're just going to kind of see what happens. No, it's, a, it's really a two-step process for my mom. She, she goes into these spaces where a garden could be, and she clears out rocks and bricks and weeds, and she, she rakes the soil so it's ready. She, she subdues the area, separates it, and then she gets the seeds that she wants to plant there, and she plants them, and she waters them, and she nurtures them, and she gives that responsibility to me sometimes if I'm visiting and I fail because I don't have the green thumb. But my mom loves to subdue spaces and then fill it with a garden. This is a 
a similar kind of thing that God is commissioning Adam and Eve with. He, he makes it clear that the work of men and women is to subdue the chaos around the garden and then to fill that space with more garden. Subduing and then filling. John Walton, kind of this Old Testament scholar, talks about it this way, that part of this subduing and filling related to the cultivation of vegetation. It related to the domestication of animals. It related to the utilization of natural resources. It related to harnessing the earth's energy. And so if you, if you hear those four things and you think, well, I'm not homesteading and I'm not into oil and natural gas, so how does that apply to me? It's just a few thoughts. Um, one, families, as you raise your kids, it's not just enough to subdue the chaos of your kids. It's not enough just to, if I can just get you to be quiet and calm and get this place peaceful, that is a part of it, to subdue the chaos of your kids, but then also to fill them, fill them with virtue, fill them with integrity. Instead of speaking poorly, don't just ask them for silence, but encourage them to speak encouragement. So subdue the chaos and then fill them with virtue and integrity. If you've got a house, it is one thing to clean a house, and a clean house is a good, good thing. But not only is it important to clean a house so that the mess is put away, but it is important to appropriately add the elements that make it hospitable to other people. Now, you can clean a house. You, I mean, we've all kind of walked into an apartment or an a house before someone lived in it. And man, that thing is clean. It's subdued. There's no chaos in the house. But it's not hospitable. No cups or plates or food or sofas to sit on. So if you've got a house, focus on subduing the chaos of your house, but also fill it with hospitality to host God's people and the people in your neighborhood. And also, if you work in a business, man, you know that businesses can descend into chaos quickly. And teams can be dysfunctional at times. And so as a business, not only is it important to work alongside your coworkers, to manage your employees, and to serve your boss in such a way that there's peace, but also to fill that workplace with productivity and profit and providing goods and services that are helpful and meaningful to other folks. And so one of the questions I have for us is, what space has God given you to subdue and then to fill, to clean, and then to release hospitality into, to bring discipline to your kids, but fill them with virtue. What space has God given you to subdue and fill? The commission that God gives to Adam and Eve is about cultivating the world around you. And this is the last thing. The commission is about kingship. So we see the very last part of it. It's be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth, and then rule over everything. You know, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I've got two siblings, an older brother and a younger sister, and there was a season in which my mom could not leave the house without getting us in the car because we just weren't old enough to be left alone just yet. But then we all kind of reached this age where, you know, from, you know, from the youngest to the oldest, we were, we were kind of just old enough to be left at home while she would run an errand. It was going to be too much work for her to get everyone in the car, get us to Walmart, get us out of Walmart, get back home. So, hey, I'm just going to leave the kids here, 
And then she would always kind of appoint somebody to be in charge. Hey, you're all my kids. Hey, for the next 20 minutes, make sure I come back, everyone's still here. Sometimes that ended really well. <laughs> Sometimes that ended poorly. The same kind of thing is happening here. Scholars call it this idea of um, Adam and Eve being vice regents. In other words, kind of in the ancient Near East, when a, when a king or an emperor would take over a new territory, they would put a statue of themselves in one of the center places so that these new subjects of theirs, when they saw it, they knew who was in charge. He would set up his image kind of all over the land, and then he would install these kinds of vice regents that carried the authority that the emperor did while he was hundreds if not thousands of miles away. In fact, the dictionary defines a vice regent as a deputy, one who acts in the place of a ruler, a governor, or sovereign. Scholars would say this idea of God creating man in his image and then delegating the authority and the responsibility to rule was this idea that God was not going to leave, but God was just empowering his image to carry his authority into the earth. This is not a bad thing to consider that God has delegated and empowered humanity to rule with his authority in his stead. In fact, one of the early church fathers, Philo, says um, about Adam specifically, the giving of names to the different animals was given to the first created man, for it is a work of wisdom and indicative of royal authority. And man was full of intuitive wisdom and self-taught, having been created by the grace of God and moreover was a king. In fact, when the disciples are following Jesus, they carry this same idea that it is a good and right thing for God's people to rule well. In one section, it says, Jesus called the disciples together. This is um, after two of the disciples had come to Jesus and said, hey, when you take the throne, can we be at your right and your left? And Jesus kind of has this dialogue about, uh, not so fast. Um, but then he says this in verse 42. He calls them together because of these disciples' question, can we sit at your right and left and rule alongside of you? He calls them together. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they do it malevolently. They lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice what Jesus does not say is, anyone who wants to be great, you should not want to be great. He does not say anybody who wants to be first, you should not want to be first. He says, if you want to be great, this is how you do it. If you want to be first, this is how you do it. If you want to carry God's image well in the earth and rule as we were originally commissioned to, this is how you do it. Serve people. Treat people benevolently. Treat them with prudence, which we'll talk about in a second. Paul kind of riffs on this same idea later. He says, do you not know that the Lord's people will actually rule? They will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to also judge just kind of trivial cases here with prudence and with virtue, with justice and with mercy? 
Revelation says a similar thing. Surrounding the throne of God were 24 elders, and these elders were on other thrones. It's kind of royal language here. Even the elders were kind of sitting on these thrones. And seated on them were the elders. They were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Even in Revelation, it talks about God's people kind of having this royal capacity to them. Now, as you continue in that, that space, they actually get down off their thrones. They kneel down. They cast their crowns before Christ because no one even gets close to rivaling Christ. But there is this sense that the image that God created us with was this kind of royal imagery. And the New Testament carries that forward. And that's why as a church and as, as parents and as employers and as those that supervise employees, it is so important to develop the virtue of prudence. Prudence just essentially meaning what is appropriate in this moment of time. Some early church fathers, when they talk about prudence, talk about prudence being the right mix of justice and mercy. Anytime you've got responsibility over people, you've got responsibility over kids, employees, whatever that space is, there's always a time for justice to make sure things are being done right and a time for mercy to say, ah, there needs to be some grace here. If you're all justice and you're no mercy, man, you will wear your kids out. You will wear your employees out. You will wear those out that report to you. And at the same time, if you're all mercy, and you're no justice. Your kids will not really grow up in maturity in the encouragement and instruction of the Lord. Your employees will be willy-nilly wild, and those that report to you will just never really get the job done. So there is a sense as people that are created in God's image that we ought to be concerned with developing this virtue of prudence, the right mix of justice and mercy at the appropriate time, and it's not clear-cut when that is, but we use God's wisdom and the knowledge of our people to do that well. And so one of my questions is, is as God has created us in his image to, to rule and to reign in various spaces, kids, for some of you, the only space you get is your room. Um, parents, your kids, and ideally as we grow older, that space increases. But are you actively pursuing prudence in the areas of your life that God has given you. The right mix of diligence, justice, and mercy. When God gives this commission to humanity, he commissions them with an element of kingship to rule well, benevolently, with justice and with mercy. And so when God commissions Adam and Eve, it comes in three parts. One, it's about kids. Be fruitful and multiply. Two, it's about cultivation. It's about subduing areas of our life that need to be subdued and then filling it with God's goodness, hospitality, and presence. And third, to be like God in the world by ruling and reigning well with wisdom, justice, 